0: What do the massacre of civilians by a for-profit company hired by the government and using taxpayer money on poorly managed schools teaching creationism and Scientology have in common? Blood. Eric Prince, founder of Blackwater, and Betsy DeVos, our Secretary of Education, may be the most powerful siblings in America. This is the story of America's very own Lannisters. Without the incest. Who is, excuse me, I don't want to get yelled at by another teacher this episode. Who are Betsy DeVos and Eric Prince? This is Who Is, From Now This, a podcast where we explore the stories and backstories of the most powerful people in Washington and beyond. The people molding our world and determining our destiny, told interviews with folks who've known or have followed them for years. This week, we're telling another story about money and power, and how money can buy power, no matter what the qualifications of the big spender. You know that little mirror in your car on the sun visor? It flips down with a little light that lights up so you can see if you got mustard in your eyebrows again. It could be said that the profits from the invention of that contraption contributed to the failure of the war in Iraq and the destruction of the entire Michigan education system. It was invented by engineers at a company called Prince Corporation, an auto parts firm in Michigan, headed by a man named Edgar Prince. The business was huge, supplying the automobile industry with the pieces needed to make the vehicles that zoom around and create the climate crisis. And it made the Prince family really, really rich. Betsy Prince got her start in the world of political donations in Michigan when she married Dick DeVos, who would become CEO of Amway. Their first date in the mid-70s was to go see a Christian philosopher do a lecture. I spoke with Detroit native Chastity Pratt, a longtime education journalist and a Harvard Neiman scholar.
1: She and the DeVos family are both from the area of Grand Rapids, which is sort of north central western part of Michigan. She is from a very religious, devoutly religious family. She grew up with money and wealth, uh, never attended public school.
0: Younger brother Eric made his first political donation of $15,000 to the GOP at 19 years old. That's when I was still using my money for, like, Pokemon cards. Here's Matthew Cole, a reporter for The Intercept and an expert. In national security, especially when it pertains to defense contracts and privatized warfare.
2: Mr. Prince went to, uh, got accepted to the U.S. Naval Academy and dropped out. Went to college in a conservative uh, religious college in Michigan and then joined the Navy and uh, went to become a Navy SEAL and became a Navy SEAL for about three or four years. Never fought in a war or a deployment in which there was any conflict.
0: DeVos, who would go on to run the nation's public schools, never attended a public school. Neither did her children. Prince, who would eventually manage security forces in combat zones, never fought in a war.
1: You don't really see anywhere on her CV actually having a job. She definitely was not a teacher. She definitely has not been a participant in public education on, you know, the face of things. So I really don't know what brought her to education other than the fact that when she and Dick DeVos are really building up their political influence within the party. In the 90s, particularly, Michigan had a huge debate over school finance, and that is when you start to see the DeVos is taking a very strong hold a very strong approach and having some real influence. We're talking about early 90s, like 1992, 93, 94.
0: Around then, Eric was already in the White House in an internship for the George H.W. Bush administration. But he quit after six months. At the time, he told the Grand Rapids Press, quote, I saw a lot of things I didn't agree with. Homosexual groups being invited in, the budget agreement, the Clean Air Act, those kind of bills. I think the administration has been indifferent to a lot of conservative concerns. He left the Bush administration because it wasn't conservative enough. The next election, he and Betsy would disagree on something. She still supported H.W., but Eric and his father, Edgar, switched to Pat Buchanan, a far-right extremist who once asked, quote, who speaks for the Euro-Americans who founded the USA, End quote. and was once called a Hitler lover by none other than President Trump.
2: You know, that's the question is what drives – what's the engine that drives someone as frenetic um, as Eric Prince? And, you know, I have this debate with some of my sources who know him well, which is how much does he believe – his ideology, you know, at his core. Does he really believe it or is it just convenient for whatever he's interested in at that moment? You know, I I hear both sides of it. No, he really believes he's very religious. Well, he's religious, but he's been married three times. He's, you know, he feels strongly that he's a patriot, but he's working hand in hand with the Chinese government on security matters. You know, so you'll find constant contradictions and that to me, suggests that his beliefs bend to his will rather than his will bending to his beliefs. In 1995,
0: Betsy, who was already a major donor, would go on to lead the Michigan GOP. She and her husband had another goal in their sights, changing how the Michigan education system worked forever. What would Eric Prince do with his vast inheritance? Start a company called Blackwater. Much later, in a 2010 interview on his legacy in Iraq... He told Men's Journal, quote, my SEAL friend suggested that maybe I should invest the money, kick back, and live off the interest. In hindsight, that wasn't such bad advice. Blackwater is what would make Eric Prince famous. It was a company that sent security forces to war zones. Many of those people would be armed. Sending private employees to war zones sounds a lot like mercenary work. The word mercenary literally means someone hired for combat. But since most of the work Blackwater was contracted for was technically, quote, security, they thought they could get away with not calling themselves mercenaries, even though they're, you know, dudes with guns going to war for money. Here's a bit of Eric himself from a recent interview with far-right commentator Stefan Molyneux. I never endeavored to be a defense contractor. You know, at that time, my My father died, my wife was uh, sick with cancer, so I got out of the SEAL teams and built this place, and then customers started coming. SEAL teams, other special operations units, and then the Navy came to us after the USS Cole was attacked. That was probably our first big defense contract, and uh, after Columbine High School was attacked, we ended up building a big mock-up and trained tens of thousands of police officers to do that better, and then uh, 9-11 happens. 9-11 9-11 sent the country and Blackwater into what would become a decades-long war of war
2: on terror. He ended up with a very small but uh, important contract uh, defending CIA uh, employees who were based in Afghanistan at the beginning of the war after 9-11. And that ultimately snowballed into a series of security contracts for CIA military and especially State Department employees, first in Afghanistan and then, most importantly, in Iraq and the war there. Um, And Blackwater became sort of synonymous with uh, the U.S. uh, war in Iraq and the, the folly of aggressive American soldiers, in this case, mercenaries or private military contractors who were former military working on contract through Blackwater. At the
0: same time, Betsy was taking major steps towards radical privatization of education, pushing Michigan towards the charter school system. So what is a charter school?
1: A charter school is a public school. Okay, first and foremost, it is a public school. However, it is one that is authorized, which means that it's allowed to exist by either a school board or a school entity such as a college or university, right? Uh, different states have various different ways of governing charter schools. But, you know, the most important thing to understand is a charter school is a publicly funded school that is run separate and apart from a traditional school district. The thing about Michigan's charter school law was it guaranteed options, but it did not... Guarantee nor regulate that these options would be good. Period. And therein lies the huge debate that has pit people against each other in Michigan and in places like Detroit and Flint. So, what we're seeing in Michigan is proliferation of charter schools in areas where the students are primarily low income and students of color. In 2001, Detroit's public school district had 155,000 students. Today, Largely, not only, but largely because of school choice. Detroit Public Schools District now has 50,000 students, less than 50,000. So, in but, what is that, 18 years? And, and really, it happened quicker than that. It was more like nine years. The school district lost two-thirds of its population. Two-thirds of its population. Do you know what happens when you lose two-thirds of your population? You lose two-thirds, if not more, of your money. And so, you've had more than a hundred school closed in Detroit. That means a hundred abandoned schools and neighborhoods. So it, it becomes a, a snowball effect um, of, of cascading economic and community issues when you allow uh, charter schools to come in and proliferate. And again, If it's about achievement, which school is supposed to be about school, all of this happened and you still don't end up with better performance. Detroit's public schools are the worst performing schools in the nation.
0: And while it may not have been the intent, school choice basically led to segregation.
1: When we have seen school choice proliferate in Michigan, we've seen uh, segregation Our schools are more segregated in Detroit and in Michigan now than before school choice. And you're like, well, how how does that happen? This is how it happens.
0: Meanwhile, Betsy's brother was having his own foray into privatization. Blackwater first got contracts in Iraq and Afghanistan to protect high-level officials in the country. Prince was hiring tons of mercenaries to work for him from all over including former commandos who'd worked for the Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, an evil and vicious dictator who ordered massacres, assassinations and disappearances. It was literally a reign of terror in Chile for decades. And Eric Prince hired his guys. On March 27th of 2004, one of Prince's employees in Iraq, Scott Helvenston, sent this email to upper management. Subject line: Extreme Unprofessionalism. He wrote: Three days ago, I was put on a team with two of the men who came down from Baghdad. Cool, ready to go. Today, I went out with my new teammates for dinner, and afterwards, my team leader took us out to a hookah bar. This is a non-alcoholic bar. It's a very dignified custom that the local Muslims partake in. And it was, well, my first time doing such a thing. At roughly 2200 hours this evening, I receive a call asking me if I can leave tomorrow at 0500 hours with a new team leader. Halveston goes on to describe a conflict between him and his boss, where he's threatened with being fired if he doesn't go on the mission. Now, here's the New York Times describing what would happen the very next day. Quote, four Americans working for a security company were ambushed and killed Wednesday, and an enraged mob then jubilantly dragged the burned bodies through the streets of downtown Fallujah, hanging at least two corpses from a bridge over the Euphrates River. One of those four men, was Scott Helvinston. The Times continued, it is not clear what the four Americans were doing in Fallujah or where they were going. End quote. The families of the men who were killed, Scott Helvenston among them, sued Blackwater, alleging that mismanagement had resulted in their deaths. Here's what Scott's mother told ABC News. Quote, I know Blackwater didn't pull the trigger, but they put Scotty and these other three guys in that spot at that time with no way to protect themselves. End quote. This tragedy led to the first battle of Fallujah, and what would be the single deadliest battle since the Vietnam War. Iraq, 2007. Nicer Square is a public space in Baghdad, a traffic circle, a roundabout. Mahasin Mohsen Kudum Ulkazali, a dermatologist, and her son, Ahmed Hatem Ahmed Ubrubia, who planned to go to medical school, were driving through the area. They were running errands at the same time as a blackwater escort. Al-Rubia may have driven in the wrong lane at some point. Then Blackwater contractors opened fire on the public square for seemingly no reason. 17 civilians were killed, including mother and son. Catherine Gallagher is a lawyer at the Center for Constitutional Rights and worked to represent the families of those killed in NICER.
3: It was a very busy square in in downtown Baghdad, and the shooting took place in the middle of the afternoon. So our clients are kind of a cross-section of Iraqi society. We had a lawyer, we had a taxi driver, we had families who were simply driving through downtown at around lunch hour, either going about their business or heading home. You know, what's interesting about Blackwater in Iraq by the time Nisor Square happened, it's one of the few companies that was well known to Iraqis. Um, There had been a number of incidents before. And so Blackwater employees and their reputations were known to maybe not all, but at least some in in Iraqi um, society. And the power and impunity with which they acted was also known. So one of the cases we also litigated was a shooting just the week before in a different part of town in Baghdad, where Ali Al Bazaz, the father of a newborn uh, child, was shot and killed right outside his rug shop just the week before. So there were a number of incidents involving Blackwater shooters that were part of this litigation ultimately. And, you know, how many more incidents may be out there, I don't know. Some of the differences between a private military or security contractor and the United States government, particularly in a war zone, is that for private companies, they are outside the military chain of command. These are individuals who are hired as employees at will. They can quit at any time. The U.S. military can't do that. They're often paid two, three, or four times as much as a member of the military or even a a member of the U.S. civil service. And rather than having their loyalty under the U.S. Constitution as a member of the U.S. military must, they are beholden to shareholders or the owners of their company.
0: But that lack of accountability— was what Prince wanted all along. Here's Matthew Cole again.
2: With private money, there is an opportunity and the need to conduct American foreign policy that may not be politically acceptable or legal. and. That is something to really think about when you understand or think about and read about something that Eric Prince may or may not be doing abroad, is that he is, he believes very much that the president of the United States, whoever they may be, is often constrained by Congress and laws and constrained by the liberal media from doing things around the world that needs to be done in America's defense. And that nugget of an idea guides him as the person who could try with his wealth and connections to accomplish those things, sometimes for free, sometimes for not. And he would describe it as doing something out of duty and patriotism. you know. And again, his ideology can get wishy-washy when the things that he wants to do are being stopped or, uh, you know, he's being told no. As like a petulant rich
0: boy, little yeah. rich boy, yeah.
2: Yeah. And I had one person who was telling me, knew him very well, that, you know, when Eric Prince wakes up in the morning, Eric Prince does whatever Eric Prince wants to do, because that's what Eric Prince has done his entire life. Like his sister, Prince is really just buying access and using his family's
0: connections to get what he wants, which in this case is military power with zero accountability.
2: Well, you know, it would be easy to dismiss it because there isn't any explicit paper that right. suggests and there never uh, is about what the donations, there never so, is. Yeah. I will say this: there is absolutely a direct connection between his early contracts with the CIA post 9-11 and his family's relationship with then Vice President Richard Cheney. Cheney had been Ford's chief of staff and worked in the Ford administration in White House. And when Prince was a huge supporter and contributor for President Ford. And so Cheney knew the Prince family. And here was young Prince who uh, did some secret work for the Vice President, essentially a favor, early on, right after they took office and then right after 9-11. And that likely led to the original contract at the CIA. So there's no question about that. He was in the inner circle and inner sanctum. And there was a very secretive relationship between Cheney and Cheney's daughter, Liz Cheney, who often acted as the messenger, the go-between when messages really? had to be delivered. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. So it's not a direct connection. Most of the time, you know, everything that happened in Iraq largely happened because they were there and they could fill the contract at the time. right? But the beginnings, really, the origin of his business, do have direct connections to the political ties that his family created over the years.
0: The absolute horrors of the Nicer Square massacre ultimately got Blackwater kicked out of Iraq. But their presence permanently hurt the Iraqi perception of Americans more than the general occupation already had, and contributed to making the war as fucked up as it was. Back in the States, the company had such bad PR, it was almost worthless, and
2: Prince had to sell everything. But he kept the rights to the name. That'll come up later. He was forced to sell his company, change the name from Blackwater, and then sell his company. And when the George W. Bush administration ended and Barack Obama took over and as president, he became unwelcome in U.S. government circles and went abroad. To search for more business. And so since 2009, he has been around the world peddling mercenary services of every kind, mostly in Africa and in the Middle East, but other places as well, and started a, a legitimate or at times legitimate logistics and transportation company, Frontier services. Frontier services Group, based in Hong Kong.
0: Prince will continue to do a bit more than logistics and transportation, or at least try to. Meanwhile, his sister Betsy was being slightly more accepted by the government establishment.
1: The Senate will move early next week to confirm the nomination of Betsy DeVos to be the United States Education Secretary. She'll be an excellent education secretary and an important one for this country.
0: Before we get into the Trump administration, I wanna talk a little bit about Eric and Betsy's religious values and how they've seeped into the work they do. Beyond their strong belief in the free market and privatization of everything, which fine, I like FedEx and I don't know, Gary Johnson was kind of funny. Beyond that, Eric and Betsy also believe in this fringe branch of Christianity based on the Dutch reformed church. And that's very scary and bordering on apocalyptic for a man involved in war.
2: Dutch reform is a very conservative, extremely Mm -hmm. conservative slice of the Christian religion and, frankly, borders on extremism. Mm -hmm. He privately will acknowledge and espouse those views, including, in particular, that the second coming of Christ will happen when the war begins in the East. And he has been obsessed with uh, a war in Iran as a result for 20 to 25 years. I mean, they had a unit that he oversaw that was called the Army of God. So it's not a stretch.
3: And there was also critique of what was considered a, quote, Christian crusader mentality within Blackwater. And the fact that, quote, killing Haji's was something that was, if not only tolerated, maybe even promoted within the company. So those were some concerning allegations that came up over the course of litigation. We had two John Doe declarations that came in that gave some insights into the culture of Blackwater, including allegations like weapons smuggling or the fact that there was a, quote, Christian crusader mentality among some of the employees and the the leadership.
0: You mentioned that these uh, gentlemen or women were held anonymously. Did you sense fear in them for going against Blackwater, their former employer?
3: We had the declarations come in as John Doe declarations, and as one of them says, I am putting this declaration forth as a John Doe because I fear violence against me in retaliation for submitting this declaration.
0: While no one is that scared of Betsy, her views are also important when it comes to her approach to education policy, which affects all Americans, from those of us who will be paying off student loans for the rest of our lives, to those of us thinking about where we might want to send our children to school, to those of us who might attend public schools right now. DeVos's views are a big part of why she wants schools to be less regulated by the government. Here's Rebecca Klein, an education reporter at the Huffington Post
4: part of her religious tradition really promotes making sure that you're spreading your beliefs to non-believers and influencing the world in which you think it should operate. Um, so through these groups, she is a big fan of private Christian education. So in areas where she has had influence, she has done everything in her power to make sure that students are able to attend either a charter school or a private Christian school. I think that one of her overarching philosophies is belief in the free market above all else. Right. So it is perhaps positively coincidental that many of the private schools that she supports happen to be private evangelical schools. But I would suspect that her most firm belief is in the free market.
0: And that belief lets some pretty absurd beliefs into schools.
4: Exactly. There's several schools in Florida that... Uh, provide that are basically come from the Scientologist tradition. They don't recognize that kids might have learning disabilities or special needs, and they're receiving thousands upon thousands of public dollars.
0: Yeah, but I don't recognize you mean because of the basic thought of Scientology that psychological elements do not exist or are due to us being possessed by whatever. Um, And when you say slavery wasn't real, is that kind of I don't want to defend anyone that says something like that, but are they saying, like, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was? Or are they saying this entire period of American history never happened?
4: So they're, it's not that they're not saying slavery isn't real. They're just uh, presenting it perhaps in a rosier light right. than like is the Kanye historically kind of. accurate. Right. right. So they refer to it as black immigration. So oh when God. you refer to it as black immigration, that uh, implies that there's a certain level of choice in the matter.
0: Just for the record, in case any of my listeners were educated in one of those schools, that is not a good way to describe the transatlantic slave trade. That's not what happened. But now that we've straightened that out, let's head over to another bastion of truth. Sean Hannity. In mid-2016, a few months before the election, Donald Trump appeared on Sean Hannity's show, and Hannity asked if, as president, there were any departments he'd be likely to get rid of. President Trump responded, Quote, The Department of Education is massive, and it can be largely eliminated. He continued, Now you maybe want to have a little bit of tentacles out there. Make sure everything, but largely we can eliminate the Department of Education. He went on to win the election. And America's education system met its little bit of tentacles. Trump nominated Betsy DeVos to be Secretary of Education. Remember, DeVos has had essentially no experience in public schools. As a student, as a parent, educator, administrator, nothing. Maybe this is a good time to point out that in the previous two election cycles, her family donated almost $9 million to Republican super PACs. And DeVos herself personally donated $115,000 to the very same Republican senators who confirmed her.
4: So it's only, you know... When she became secretary of education, people in Michigan would say, finally, the rest of the country is going to be able to see what we've been dealing with because they've long known about her influence, her family's influence and how they're pulling the strings to affect schools there.
0: When it comes to what is likely a pressing issue for many of our listeners out there who may have paid a huge bill as recently as, I don't know, earlier this month, as secretary of education, what impact has Betsy DeVos had on your student loan debt?
4: Secretary DeVos has worked for years as Secretary of Education to make sure that people who are in debt are less likely to be relieved of that debt uh, if they've been defrauded by for-profit colleges. Um, She has undone and replaced regulations that the Obama administration put in place to protect this group of people. And she has a revolving door of appointees who actually come from the for-profit college industry. This is an industry that she's cozy with, and she is working to actively make sure that fewer people have their debt relieved.
0: Yeesh. But surely she's protected the civil rights of students.
4: I think that many people would point to the civil rights regulations that she has undone. So you saw that very early on in her tenure, she Undid the regulation that protected transgender students in K through 12 schools that allowed them to, you know, potentially use the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity rather than their biological sex. Uh, She has undone a a regulation that uh, protected students of color from unfair disciplinary practices. Uh, She has undone a regulation that promoted diversity on college campuses. You know, they obviously rolled back some of the Title IX protections that sexual assault victims had. And she's basically worked to make sure that students had less access to civil rights protections.
0: That brings us back to Trump and his good friend, Sean Hannity. Education is the department to cut, right? Which leaves Rebecca Klein wondering.
4: I would like to ask her about her plans for the future. I mean, she's already undone so much. Uh, what, what more is there for her to undo?
0: Devos's brother Eric was also slithering back into the public eye in both a funny way and a not-at-all-funny way. First, the funny. It's 2019, and Blackwater's been dead for years. It's several name changes deep and a shell of its former self. But then an ad appeared in military magazines. It was the Blackwater logo with we're coming in text below. A rebrand? While it seemed like Blackwater might be back, They were not. Remember how Prince kept the name Blackwater when he sold the company? Well, he licensed that name to an ammunition manufacturer so that they could release Blackwater-branded ammo. He also sold the name to a meat delivery service where you can buy a Blackwater-branded howdy-y'all beef box for
2: $79. One thing that people don't realize about Eric Prince, Eric Prince travels all of the time. All of the time, he is on planes traveling around the world, taking meetings, trying to make deals happen, trying to enter into conflicts, trying to start wars, trying to end wars, and to make money while doing so. And he is very, very ambitious, very ambitious. And I, all I can say is that in the years that I've covered uh, Eric Prince and, and what he's gotten up to, the more I'm convinced that he is a, a lot like President Donald Trump. You know, the son, a wealthy kid, from a wealthy family who was not particularly successful, but sort of failed upwards in some ways, and a terrible businessman, but not for lack of trying, and the ambition that just keeps him going. He takes his failures in stride and keeps going.
0: It isn't just outright war that Prince wants to privatize.
2: He and a former CIA officer who was a colleague of his expanded on the idea of what they were going to provide in Afghanistan to create a small network of spies around the world that would report to the head of, only to the director of the CIA and to the president of the United States. And uh, it would be totally private and it would go completely around normal intelligence reporting channels. It wasn't necessarily illegal. There was something similar that was done under Uh, CIA Director Bill Casey under the Reagan administration. So there was some precedent for it, not largely known, but there was some precedent for it. And, you know, it was, he pitched it, it was pitched absolutely as a way to thwart the deep state, which was upset that Donald Trump was president and was trying to blunt his job as president of the United States and as commander in chief. So this program was dangerous in its scope, in part because of its intention, which was, hey, you know, you can't trust the spies working for the U.S. government, the people who work for you, because they want to bring you down. You know, the argument has been the right wing media, conservative media and conservative members of Congress have echoed that years, which was that the Russia investigation was a, essentially a soft coup or an attempt at a soft coup, which is, I think, uh, false. And he tried to use that to get a contract to sell spies that could especially in particular work to thwart Iran. It was really geared towards Iran. And it's important to remember at a time when tensions are very, very high between Iran and the United States and the Western you know, international community, someone like Eric Prince is looking at any possible way to have that Conflict or to be involved in that conflict. Besides trying to push yet again for a contract in Afghanistan, Eric Prince is deeply involved in the civil war in Libya. He has been for a while, but he is, I think, um, I don't want to say too much because I'm not yet ready to report it, but we're going to find out that Prince has been involved in trying to supply active, uh, try to get involved in the active hostilities in the war in, in Libya much more than was previously understood and very recently.
0: That Eric Prince has bought his way back into the government should be concerning for many reasons. But what's more, according to Matthew Cole, he isn't even very good at what
2: he does. Eric Prince has never successfully run anything. He has largely failed as a businessman. He has no experience in real war. And by real, I mean in nation-state fighting. The people who have worked with him, around him, and for him for 30 years who do have that experience have been shocked and appalled at how little he understands. And so the main thing to understand is it's sort of Wild to think that someone who has not really earned the right to have a voice with the president of the United States on matters such as, you know, so grave as ending a war in Afghanistan— does get to present his ideas. And fortunately, for the most part, his ideas have not been adopted, for the most part. And he gets into the room, but he has yet to seal the deal and sell something. And that is a good thing, I think, because he has shown in what he has run to be dishonest and largely incompetent. I think Eric Prince is emblematic or sort of symbolic. He stands in for this idea of unchecked american governmental power presidential power that if you're wealthy enough and you are fervent enough in your beliefs and cause you can buy access to the u.s government
0: prince's quest for privatization for personal gain has had an overarching effect on the entire government here's catherine gallagher
3: eric prince and blackwater definitely pushed the idea of contracting forward in terms of the kinds of services that were outsourced. And when we look at where we've gotten to 15 years later with the Trump administration, it's frightening how many um, core governmental functions or things that U.S. citizens think are being done by civil servants are actually being done by for-profit contractors. And that can include everything from intelligence analysis as to where we go to war which of course is something that contractors have an interest in seeing even more war because right. they can profit from it. It's their business. To what we're seeing now with detention centers for immigrants and migrants. So the exercise of outsourcing and privatization that Eric Prince advocated for and really exemplified in the Iraq War is something that we're living with some of those consequences today.
0: Listening to this show, we kind of promised you stories about the shadowy, powerful people geniusly running the world from behind the scenes. But what if that wasn't the case? Eric Prince and Betsy DeVos didn't seize power. They bought it. And they aren't even very good at the jobs they've bought themselves. They're not America's Lannisters. They're the Blues.
1: I hate to sound all doom and gloom, but the stakes are very high for Detroit right now. The stakes are very high for Michigan right now. And our U.S. Education Secretary has zero, zero on-the-ground education experience, whereas we've seen prior U.S. Education Secretaries who have been teachers, (laughs) have been actual educators. Um, But that's not the case here. Which leads one to to wonder, when the Trump administration appointed this very rich, influential Republican billionaire to be, and, and donor, to be the education secretary, was that in order to improve education or to dismantle the U.S. Education Department?
0: Dismantling the Department of Education. Running a war without oversight in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, or providing security services right here at home in the United States. This is not how our government is supposed to work. But when billionaires are able to buy their way in, it's what we're left with. On our next episode, we'll pivot to a much smarter subject. A real genius, someone incredibly powerful, possibly the most powerful man in the United States. Someone who really doesn't want you to know how powerful he is. It's Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts. Next week. This has been Who Is from Now This and iHeartMedia. Thank you to our experts, Trastity Pratt, Harvard Neiman scholar and reporter for The Bridge, Matthew Cole of The Intercept, Catherine Gallagher of the Center for Constitutional Rights, and Rebecca Klein of HuffPost. Who Is is a podcast from Now This. It's produced and written by me, Sean Morrow. Michael McDowell is our producer. Emily Feld is our coordinating producer and researcher. This episode was edited by Ernie Indradat. Production support came from Rob Boehner, Amanda Earle, and Pedro Alvira. And congrats on becoming a father, Pedro. David Zwick is supervising producer. Our executive producers are Sarah Frank, Brett Kushner, and Mangesh Hadakuder. Tina Exaros is our chief content officer and Ethan Stephanopoulos is our president.